How many people are ready for Christmas? Got all your Christmas shopping done. Lift up your hand. We envy you. You guys are the amazing people. How many people have yet to go to a mall? How many people are the procrastinated kind of person? You've got to get this done. You're a little bit of panic mode, and I'm stressing you out by just bringing this up. Well, this past Friday, I'm off on Friday, and Evelyn and I had the granddaughters over at the house. We were making Christmas cookies. And I tell you, you got to understand that the kitchen was a mess and lots of stuff going on. When you've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old baking with you in the kitchen, it's a lot, a lot, a lot of fun. Well, my daughter sent me a, a comic. I thought it was cute. I wish I could put it on the screen, but is it okay to describe it to you? Can I do that this morning before we get to God's Word? Can I do that? Can I do that? Give me the permission to do that. Can I do that? So I want you to picture Mary, and she's sitting on a bale of hay in the stable, and her arms are crossed. And she's looking like this. She's not one bit happy. And there's Joseph behind her and his hands on his head. He goes, how many times do I have to tell you I'm sorry? I'm sorry. I wished I booked a room in the inn. Now, the caption below said it all. The real reason why it was a silent night. (laughs) Isn't that good? Come on, isn't that good? Isn't that good? I thought that was so good. Well, a shout-out welcome to our online church, people in our city, our province, our nation, and globally around the world that have joined in today. We are so honored that you've become a part of this worship celebration. Well, we're in a Christmas series. We're calling it Christmas Miracles. And we're taking four Sundays to talk about Christmas miracles. And as your pastor, I have people every week emailing me, telling me about their Christmas miracle. And it's so exciting to know what God is doing in marriages, what God is doing in families, what God is doing in people's lives. And we want you to feel free to just call or email and tell us what God is doing. And we celebrate the faithfulness of God. Well, I want you to pull out your sermon notes. They are on the back of your bulletin or you can pull it up on your handheld device. We're calling today's message, Jesus is Your Miracle. And I'm just going to talk to you today about Jesus. And I want to take you way back to an Old Testament book. It's called Micah. Everybody say Micah. One, two, three, Micah. If you're not sure where it is, it's seven books to the left of Matthew, and it's called One of the Minor Prophets. It's a short book, and it's an amazing book, but I'm telling you, I saw a whole lot of Jesus in Micah chapter 5, a lot more than I saw at first glance. So I take you to Micah chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 1 down to verse 5. Jesus is your miracle. Now, the name Micah simply means who is like God. Jehovah, who is like God. That's what the name Micah means. Micah was prophesying and speaking to the the nation of Israel that was actually in, in a spiritual decline. And they had turned their back on God and it was becoming morally corrupt and they were just Instead of pressing towards God, they were moving away from God, and uh, they were getting confused, they were getting perplexed, and they were just turning their back on God and walking away from God. And God raises up this prophet guy, Micah, it's like 721 before Christ, and he's, he's writing to the nation of Israel, and he says to them in Micah chapter 5, verse 1, look at the screen, he says, marshal your troops now. Uh, assemble your troops, gather your troops, muster up your troops now, city of troops. And when it says city of troops, he's referring to Jerusalem. He says, for a siege is laid against us, they will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. 
Now, those are interesting words, and it's kind of a little play on words. And the whole concept is the most insulting thing to happen was for a king to be slapped in the face. It would be a huge insult. And so Micah picks up that analogy, and he, and he talks here. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod, and the rod speaks of judgment. It's the judgment of God coming against Israel because they had turned their back on God. And literally, the Assyrians came in, and the Assyrians began to invade Israel, invade Jerusalem, invade God's people. And so God is speaking to Micah, and Micah speaks to the nation of Israel and says, you've got you've to gather your troops now. You, you gotta, you gotta get ready for this because there's the judgment of God coming. Now, if you understand the whole Old Testament idea of empires, the Babylonians came in and the Babylonians became the big empire. And after the Babylonians fell, it was the Persians that took over and they become the great big empire. And after the Persians, it became the Greek. And then after the Greek, it became the Romans. And Jesus was born in a time when Rome was ruling the world. And so if you're tracking with me, it went from the Babylonians to the Persians to the Greek and to the Romans. And here we have Micah, God's prophet, who is like Jehovah. And he's speaking to God's people, and he's saying, you've got to marshal your troops, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. Now look at verse 2. He says, but, but you... And I'm going to push pause right now because in the ancient Hebrew language, but you actually has an accent on top of it. And what does that mean? It's a grammatical approach to say, pause, push pause. And note what I'm about to say is really important. And so Micah uses a Hebrew word, but you, that's translated in English, but you. And it's, it's like pause, just, just note this. And it doesn't actually say Bethlehem. It actually reads, oh, Bethlehem. Now, let me weave it together here. When he said, but you, he's, he's, he's making a, a, a grammatical approach. And he's saying, now, now compared to the devastation that's going to happen in Jerusalem because of the moral decline and because of the moral decay, and because you're turning your back on God and you've got to get your troops there. Now he prophetically is looking ahead because God's spirit is speaking through him. And he's looking ahead some 700 years into the future. And he's comparing the devastation in Jerusalem to a victory that would happen 700 years later in Bethlehem, the birth of Jesus. And he says, but you, oh, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And I want to talk to you today from Micah chapter 5 verse 2. And Jesus is all over this verse. And Jesus is all over the verses to follow. And I'm going to bring this together to the best that I can. But I want you to understand again that Micah is comparing a devastation in Jerusalem to a victory in Bethlehem. And he's prophetically speaking towards the birth of Jesus Christ. So I want to share with you three things that I saw in Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Number one, Number one, we see a predetermined place. A predetermined place. Micah said, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Have you ever wondered why he said Bethlehem, Ephrathah? And I had to study that, and here's the deal. There's actually more than one Bethlehem in, in the ancient world in those days. There's actually one in Galilee that was about 60 miles away. 
But the Bethlehem where Jesus was born was six miles south of Jerusalem. And, and Ephrathah is the ancient word, the ancient name for Bethlehem that was used in the days of Jacob. And so if we were living in the days of Jacob in the Old Testament, they called Bethlehem Ephrathah. It's the ancient name. And so Micah specifically makes reference to Bethlehem Ephrathah, so you wouldn't be confused. And so when he wrote these words, no one will be confused as to which Bethlehem he's referring to. He's referring to the Bethlehem that's six miles to the south of Jerusalem. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, now look at the screen, though you are small among the clans of Judah. Now I'm going to ask you a question. How many, how many tribes were there? It's not a tough question. Shout out. There were how many tribes? There were 12 tribes. And each of those tribes were allotted land in the promised land. One of those tribes was the tribe of Judah. And Judah was allotted some land in the promised land. And there was actually clans. I don't know if you know what a clan is, but in the ancient understanding, clan is when there was a thousand people. Clan means a thousand. And so in the tribe of Judah, in the land where Judah was allotted... There would literally be all these clans. And to be a clan, you had to have a thousand people. But here is Bethlehem, Ephrathah. That's so small. There's not even a thousand people in it. It's not even a clan of its own. It had to be connected with another area. It was so insignificantly small and so tiny. And Micah prophetically says, but, but you... Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah. Now, for a couple of moments this morning, I want to talk to you about Bethlehem Ephrathah. And I want to show you some Old Testament scriptures that talk about Bethlehem Ephrathah that can bring life and encouragement to us today. So I want to take you back to Genesis 35, 18. Look at the screen. You remember Jacob, and Jacob's wife was Rachel. And Jacob and Rachel are now in Bethlehem, and she's, she's giving birth, and she dies giving birth. And it says she breathed her last, for she was dying. And she gives birth to this son that she calls him Ben-Onai. And in the ancient Hebrew language, Ben means son of. And I'll explain what Ben-Onai means in a moment. But the father Jacob called him Benjamin. And so Jacob calls the boy Benjamin, the son of Jamin. And Rachel calls him Ben-Onai, the son of Onai. Now, the name Benjamin means the son of the right hand, but the name Ben-Onai means the son of sorrow. And I read that to you today because I want you to see that Rachel and Jacob give birth to a son in Bethlehem, the same Bethlehem Ephrathah, where Jesus would be born hundreds of years later, and she calls her boy the son of sorrow. Why is that significant? Because some of you today, Christmas is not a time of joy. Christmas is a time of sorrow. And for some of you today, your heart is broken, your heart is grieving, you've lost a loved one, or you're walking through the most difficult time, you're not looking forward to Christmas, you just want Christmas to get over. I've got a word for you today. Jesus wants to step into your sorrow moments today and bring hope and encouragement. Somebody give a little shout of amen in this place. He wants to come in and minister to you in your place of sorrow. Now let me take you to Ruth chapter 2. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 4, there's this man named Boaz. And Boaz was called a kinsman redeemer. 
And there's this lady named Ruth. And, and Boaz comes to Ruth and becomes the kinsman redeemer for Ruth and redeems her from her past and redeems her from her hurt and takes her to come alongside him. And it says in Ruth 2.4, Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you in Bethlehem. We have Boaz coming to Ruth and redeeming Ruth as the kingsman redeemer. Now, why is that significant? It's in Bethlehem. It's in the same place where Jesus was born. We have just learned that Jacob and Rachel gave birth to to a son, the son of sorrow, and Jesus comes into your sorrow moments. But here's another good word. Jesus is our redeemer. Amen. And our redeemer is not dead. Amen. I mean, church, there's many people that worship other gods who have lived and died. But our Jesus, our Redeemer, lived and died and is raised to life. Our Redeemer lives. Amen. What a powerful truth. I want to take you now to 1 Samuel chapter 17. David. Everybody say David. One, two, three. David. David was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem Ephrathah. In 1 Samuel 17, 58, whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I'm the son of your servant, Jesse, of Bethlehem. David went on to be a king. King David was born in Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Look at 1 Samuel 16, 13. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. From that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. David then went to Ramah. And if you read the verses surrounding there, you will learn that King David was anointed as king in Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem, and he was anointed in Bethlehem. And church, I want to share to you today that that King David was born in Bethlehem, King David was anointed in Bethlehem, but the king of kings is not David. The king of kings is not a hockey player. The king of kings is not a rock star. The king of kings is not a movie star. The king of kings is Jesus Christ. Somebody give a little amen in this place. He's the anointed one. He is the king. 1 Samuel 16, 13. Now I'll take you to John chapter 6. Before I read this, I want to tell you what the name Bethlehem means and Ephrathah means. Because Jesus, Jesus, Micah said, is going to be born in this small little village called Bethlehem. Ephrathah is the ancient old name. The name Bethlehem means house of bread. And the name Ephrathah means fruitfulness. And you come to John chapter 6, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. It is no accident, it is no coincidence, it's a providential hand of God that the bread of life, Jesus, was born in the house of bread. And how many people like warm bread from the oven? Come on, lift up your hand. Isn't that great? I mean, I was raised on sliced bread from the grocery store until I started dating this Newfoundlander who took me to her house and I experienced homemade bread for the first time. When you have homemade bread from the oven, there's no going back. Jesus is our bread of life. Jesus is the one that can bring fruitfulness in our life. John 6, 35, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. I want to take you now to one more scripture before we move on. Genesis 49, 10. 
In Genesis 49.10, it says the scepter will not depart from Judah. The scepter was the symbol of the leadership, the rulership. The scepter will not depart from Judah. Do you remember Bethlehem, Ephrathah, is in the allotment of the tribe of Judah. Do you know what the name Judah means? Judah means praise. I want to ask you a question. How many people know our Jesus is worthy of all praise? Come on, how many people know our Jesus is worthy of all praise? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, unto her, he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nation shall be his. So the first thing that we've established very briefly is Bethlehem, it's a predetermined place. We see a predetermined place in Micah 5 verse 2. Let me show you another amazing truth. Number two, there's a promised plan that we see in Micah 5 verse 2 that I never saw as clearly as I saw this week as I began to study this verse in the ancient Hebrew language. It says in Micah 5 verse 2, And out of you, that refers to Bethlehem, will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. Now, you know that I'm reading from the New International Version, which is simply a translation. But I want to take you now for just a moment to a transliteration from the ancient Hebrew language that, that, that the Old Testament is written in, in, in Hebrew language. Here's how it should read. Look at the screen. Out of you will come. It doesn't read for me. It reads of me. So that puts a whole new spin to it. Out of you, that's referring to Bethlehem, will come of me, one who will be ruler over Israel. And Bible scholars say that this is teaching us of the incarnation. This is teaching us that Jesus is God. This is teaching us that Jesus left, God left heaven and came to earth for you and me. This is teaching us that Jesus wasn't just 100% man when he walked on earth. He was 100% God. God left heaven and came to earth for you and me. So Micah said, out of you will come of me one who will be ruler over Israel. So I, I thought of that. My mind went to John 1.14. In John 1.14, the word, and, and the word, the Greek word is logos. Anytime you see the word, word, in the book, Gospel of John, it's referring to Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The message translation says, and, and God moved into the neighborhood. You know, church, what Christmas is all about, God leaving heaven and coming to earth. Luke 1, 32 says, he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And so what have we learned so far? There's a predetermined place, and we've learned that there's a promised plan, but, but I want to take you to really what I want to share with you, and I couldn't wait to share these final thoughts, and, and I tell you, I saw stuff in Micah 5 that I never saw before in reference to Jesus. And I want to share it with you today. So number three, I want to talk to you about a profound person. I want to talk to you in our final moments about Jesus. It says in Micah 5 verse 2, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And if you look in the ancient Hebrew and you take a transliteration, It teaches us whose origins are from eternity. Whose origins are from eternity. You see, when Jesus was born on earth in Bethlehem, 
in a stable some 2,000 years ago. That's when he entered earth. But he has always existed. And Micah chapter 5 teaches us about the eternality of Jesus. He always was. Whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 12 picks up the same thought. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. Jesus always was and he always will be. Can you risk a little amen this morning? He always was, and he always will be. I want to read quickly Micah 5, verse 3. Then I want to take you to 4 and 5, and I'll share with you these thoughts that I couldn't wait to share. Micah said, therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son. And most Bible scholars believe this is referring to Mary giving birth to Jesus. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son. But I want to take you now to verse 4 and verse 5, and I want to show you six things that we're going to read about Jesus in Micah chapter 5 that I believe have great application for us today. So let's get right to it. Number one, the first thing Micah says, number one, is he will stand. He will stand. See, in Micah chapter 5, verse 4, after he establishes that he will be born in Bethlehem, Ephrathah, he then goes on to say something prophetically that will happen. He will stand. Now, now, I thought about standing. Standing is different than sitting. Standing is indicating that I'm about to do something. Standing is indicating that there's going to be some activity. Standing is suggesting that something is about to happen. And I, I, I just felt the Lord prompt me to say to you and I this morning that our Jesus is standing on our behalf and he is active on our behalf. He's not passive on our behalf. He is actively working in our lives at all times. And I felt the Lord wanted me to say he's about to do something great and mighty in your life as you open your heart to him. He is standing on your behalf and he's about to do something on your behalf. And I felt the Lord say to me that he's going to do some great things in this place in 2020. And he's going to do great things in your life and my life as we open our hearts to him. Why? Because Jesus is all-powerful. Somebody say, man, he will stand. But there's more. Number two, he will shepherd. It says, and, and shepherd his flock. I have a pastor friend of mine that pastors in Western Ontario, and I grew up with his family, and his last name is Shepherd. And so people call him Pastor Shepherd. You just let that sink in for a moment. You know, Pastor and Shepherd. And I've heard him give a little talk before where he says, you know, I'm not your shepherd, I'm your pastor. And he goes on to say, your real shepherd is Jesus Christ. And you know, sometimes we forget that the greatest shepherd that ever existed is Jesus Christ. And he can meet needs that nobody else can meet in your life. An ancient shepherd in the Old Testament would care for the flock, would protect the flock, would, would be with the flock at all times. I mean, a shepherd would go out in the field and be there for day and night. Jesus never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He is your shepherd. And some of you today, you might be feeling like God has abandoned you. Isn't it good news? God has not abandoned you. Amen. 
He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is your shepherd. He can meet every need that you have in your life. And Micah is talking about he will shepherd. He will shepherd his flock. But then there's number three. He will serve in God's strength. He will serve in God's strength. Micah said he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Jesus would serve in God's strength. And I thought about that. If Jesus had to serve in God's strength, it's good news to know that we don't have to live our lives in our own strength. We can live our lives in the strength of God Almighty. He's stronger. He's bigger. He's mightier. He's powerful. There's nothing that is too difficult for God. There are no lost causes. There is no miracle that is beyond His power. Just as we sung this morning, giants can come down. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that today? Do you believe that Jesus can do the impossible. How many people this morning believe Jesus can do the impossible? Do you believe that today? There's strength, there's might, there's power. And I I just feel the Lord has been speaking to me this week to let our faith rise up and believe for the strength of God Almighty. It says he will serve in God's strength, in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Then there's number four. He will provide security. And they, it says, and they will live securely. I mean, security is so important. I mean, I, we used to tease growing up. My, my father would not spend the money on an alarm system for our house. He said, I'm not, I'm not going to put an alarm system in our house. I got another way of doing this. You got to understand that in my house growing up, we, I didn't grow up with dogs. We never had dogs. But my dad went out and bought the largest dog feeding bowl that you could find. And he put it outside the door and he put a sign in the window that says, beware of dog. So if you were a burglar showing up to our house, you would not just see the sign, you'd see this humongous dog bowl. And some of you are thinking, that's the alarm system I'm going to get for our house. I can remember years ago, we were away on vacation, and somebody actually did break into our house. And they actually stole stuff from our house. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but you feel so violated. I mean, it's a weird feeling to know people you didn't know were walking through your house. Everybody wants safety. I'm glad to tell you today, the safest place to be is in the arms of God. He will keep you. He will keep you safe. And I'm so glad He, he will provide security. I don't know what you're facing, but there's nothing, there's nothing that you're facing that God can't get you through. Do you believe that today? There's nothing that you're facing that God can't get you through. God is with you. He will never forsake you. He will get you through this season. The outcome may not be what you thought or you think, but he will get you to the other side, the safest place It's in the arms of God. Amen. Amen. And then there's number five. He will be sovereign. He will be sovereign. He will rule. And I love what Micah said. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. I mean, that's why we love sending a missions team to Siberia. We love sending a missions team to Colombia. That's why we love partnering with 26 global workers. That's why we love 
being a missions-minded church. But you know, friends, here we are in the Christmas season. Can we make Jesus famous in the city of Ottawa? We have every intentions to walk down our street. And we've already started at inviting our neighbors, inviting them to come to this church on Christmas Eve. We do life with the people on our street. And I'm going to ask you to pray for specifically one family on our street. And we've lived there for 19 years, and we've known this family for 19 years. Their children grew up with our children. Two years ago, this lady was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And, and, and Evelyn and I have gone to visit her in the hospice. We've gone to share with her, and, and we've just journeyed alongside them. And, and, but a month ago, Evelyn had the opportunity just to lead her to Jesus. And we thank God for that. And this past Thursday, her husband texted me and said that she's gone, she's passed away, her journey has ended. And I walked down the street and I spent some time with my neighbor and he shared with us about a week ago, he said, my my wife wants you and Evelyn to be part of the funeral, wants Evelyn to share, wants you to share. And tomorrow morning we'll be part of the funeral service, coming alongside this family. And I count that an honor and I count that a privilege. And I want to declare to you something that I've said to this church before. And, and, and the only way I can illustrate it is something that happens to me every time I'm at the Civic Hospital. And I tell you, if you ever go to the Civic Hospital, it's hard to get a parking spot. Don't try to get parking on the main floor. You will always be on the fifth level. And I'm okay with that because I can't wait to get to level five. And I'll tell you why. I get out of my car and there's a view of a skyline of downtown Ottawa. And I see the high rises. And I'm going to come to that in a moment. But as a young boy, as a young boy, I can remember it clearly being so, just so overtaken by high-rise buildings. And I can remember the first high-rise building that was built in my city and the second one. And I knew where it was and I knew how many floors there were. And I remember as a little kid, probably five or six years of age, getting books about cities. And I guess what the Lord was doing, the Lord was birthing a burden in my heart for cities. And I'm going to fast forward as I'm now on, the, on that upper level and I'm looking out and I see the skyline of Ottawa. Something happens in my spirit where I am so burdened and so moved and so on fire and so passionate to do all I can to reach this city for Jesus Christ. And I'm here to say to you today, Christmas Eve, 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 6 o'clock, I'm inviting all my friends at the gym. I'm inviting all the neighbors on our street. I'm inviting everybody. I mean, we're, we're just going all out to invite Ottawa to come and to hear the hope in Jesus Christ. Church, we've got a few more days to do all we can. Now, here's the alternative. We just show up on Christmas Eve and have a nice little cozy time as we believers coming together to celebrate our Lord or we come together and invite the community to come and give opportunity for them to accept Jesus Christ in their life. Wouldn't it be exciting if hundreds of people make a commitment to Jesus Christ this Christmas Eve? Wouldn't it be exciting to see hundreds of people make a first-time commitment to Jesus Christ? Would that excite anybody in this place today? Would that excite anybody in this place? Here's what we do. We say to our friends, We'd be honored if you came as our guest. I don't, I don't say, well, if you've got nothing to do, you've got nowhere else to be, come to our... Don't say that. 
make them feel like a million bucks. We'd be honored if you came as our guest and joined us on Christmas Eve. Now, I, I got a little advantage that you don't have. All my gym friends go, are you going to be on the platform speaking? I said, I'll be on the platform speaking. And they said, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm just believing that my friends will make a decision for Jesus Christ. Oh, come on, give a clap offering of praise to the Lord. So put number five back on the screen. Can I make it a little more personal? For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the Ottawa region. Can we make Jesus famous in Ottawa? Come on, Woodville, can we make Jesus famous? Can we make Jesus famous? I want to show you one more thing. This is the one that gripped me the most. I I saw Jesus all over Micah chapter 5. And the sixth and the final thing I want to share with you is he will bring serenity. He will bring peace. Micah is segueing from the devastation that will happen in Jerusalem as the Assyrians come in. And he says, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, and he's now prophetically speaking of things he doesn't fully understand. And he's looking ahead 700 years, and he's segueing from the devastation in Jerusalem to a victory in Bethlehem. And the victory in Bethlehem is because of the victor who is Jesus Christ. I think we need to pause and give a clap offering of praise to Jesus Christ right now. Come on. Come on, Woodville. Put your hands together and give a clap offering of praise to Jesus Christ. And so Micah, as he's prophesying, is kind of looking back and looking forward. And he says in verse 5, and he will be our peace. And the ancient word is shalom. He will be our shalom when the Assyrians invade and our land, invade our land and march through our fortresses. I don't want you to miss this today, that Micah, is looking ahead to the victory in Bethlehem, but now he's segueing back to the devastation in Jerusalem, and he's talking about these Syrians that were going to come in and going to attack Jerusalem, attack the land, and, and, and bring some devastation because they turned their back on God. But he says, but I, I just want to remind you, people of Israel, that, that our God is going to be our shalom when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortress and not just in our land, but when, they, when, when the enemy gets into our fortress, when the enemy gets into our house. Now, now let me fast forward and give you an application in case you didn't know it. There is a devil that is roaming through this world seeking whom he may devour. There is an enemy that wants to destroy your marriage. There's an enemy that wants to fill you with confusion and anxiety and worry. There's an enemy that wants to cripple this church from making a difference in the city. There's an enemy that is wanting to push back on your health. There's an enemy that wants your children not serving God. There's an enemy that wants people bound in drugs and bound with stuff that is not of God. But here, Micah says, he will be our shalom when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortress. There might be an enemy roaming through this land, but there's a Jesus who's greater that's in us. And I'm here to declare to you, the word shalom doesn't just mean peace. The word shalom means wholeness. Wholeness. 
The word shalom means completeness. And I'm here to declare to you today that our Jesus wants to bring wholeness and completeness and victory in your home and victory in your marriage and victory in your health and victory in this church. Just like the Assyrians would invade the people in those days, there's an enemy kicking hard. But I'm here to declare to you, I'm here to declare to you that Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem, we got to stop saying away in a manger. We got to move from away from the manger and understand that Jesus went and died on a cross. They put him in a grave. But on the third day, he was raised to life. Jesus is not dead. Come on, Woodvale. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And so Micah is prophesying. Micah is speaking prophetically. Micah is speaking about the Assyrians coming and defeating and pushing into Jerusalem. And he's looking ahead to the great victory in Bethlehem. And he will be our shalom when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses. I got a word for you this morning. Jesus is with you today. He's with you what you're walking through. He's going to help you get through your trial. He's going to help get you to the other side. He's never abandoned you. He's never forsaken you. He's with you at all times. He's your security. Come on, Woodville. He's your shalom. He's your peace. He is the one. He's the one that's with us. And so when Micah spoke these great words, may we never forget. May we never, ever forget these great words that Micah shared. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are small, Bethlehem might be small among the clans of Judah. Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Bethlehem might be small, but my Jesus and your Jesus is big. Our Jesus is big, amen. Our Jesus is big. Every head is bowed. Everyone's eyes are closed. There are two things that I want to talk to you about in our final moments. First of all, you're sitting here today or you're watching on live streaming. My question for you before we open this altar is if today was the day that you died and you stepped into eternity, do you know that you know that you know that you're you're going to heaven? Are you ready for heaven? Was there a time and a place and a moment that you personally asked Jesus to be the center of your life? Have you asked him to be your savior? Have you asked him to forgive you of your sins? Have you asked him to be the center of your life? Going to church is great. Giving in the offering is great. Taking notes in a sermon is great. Being generous at Christmas is great. But that doesn't get you to heaven. Please hear me. Have you asked Jesus to be the center of your life? If you're here today and you've never done that, in just a moment, I want to give you that opportunity. If you're here today and you're not certain that you're ready for heaven, but you want to be ready for heaven, you want Christ to be the center of your life, even before we open this altar, I want to give you an opportunity to make your peace with God through Jesus Christ. So I'm just going to count to three. And after I count to three, if you're here today and you'd like to be included and led in a prayer to ask Jesus to be the center of your life, I I just want you to lift your hand. And by lifting your hand, you're letting me know, Pastor, I 
want Jesus in my life. I want him to be the center of my life. I want to be ready for heaven. I want to make my peace with God. I want to be included in this prayer. So I'm going to count to three. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. And if you want to be included in this prayer, I want you just to lift your hand. One, two, three. That's you. Lift your hand as high as you can. Yeah. You can put your hand down. Number of people raise their hands. I want to lead you in a prayer. And we're going to join you as you pray. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I ask you into my life. Please forgive me of my sins. I have decided to follow Jesus. I make my peace with you today. I receive you in my life. I declare you today my Savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, open your eyes. It's party time, Woodville. Come on, it's party time. Now, if you prayed that prayer, and there's a number of people lift up their hands, you made the best decision of your life. And if you don't attend a life-believing, God, uh, life-believing, life-giving church, we'd be honored if you joined us in the journey. And in a couple of moments, on your way out, go to the follow wall. It's a big wall. The word follows there. We've got a Bible for you and a little booklet for you. And we've got a class that meets on Wednesday nights that can help you in your new journey with Jesus. And we'd be honored if you became a part of that. I want you to stand. And just to, everyone stand if you could. In just a moment, we're going to open this altar. And Pastor Brad, there's been a thematic song that you've been leading us in. There, there is a move. And this morning, we've looked at Micah chapter 5. And how many people believe Jesus can do the supernatural in this place today? Do you believe that? There's, there's a lady in our church and she sent me an email and she started to share how she was having issues with her breathing and her lungs and she went to a doctor and the doctor shared what was going on and, and uh, she went through four different tests and every single test said, every machine, every test said, this is the problem, you got a problem with your valve and this is going to have to be tended to, this has got to be taken care of. And she came to a prayer night, our last prayer night, I think at West, and we prayed for her, and she started to feel better. So she goes back to the doctor, and the doctor says, well, we're going to put you through those tests again. And put them through the test again, and she comes back after the test, and everything's fine. So she's sitting with the doctor, and she said to the doctor, can you explain why you know, before it's all bad, but now it's good. And he said, well, the machines must have malfunctioned. And she's like, all four of them? She said, Pastor, I believe Jesus healed me. I believe Jesus healed me. I believe Jesus healed me. I'm getting people all week emailing me saying, Pastor, I, I got my Christmas miracle. Now, it's, it's, it's a process, but this is what God did. And, and, he's, and he's doing this, and he's, he's moving me towards this. And God is up to something, and we want to be a place that believes in the supernatural. So, Pastor, I want you to lead us in that song again. If you're standing here today and you need a miracle of God, I want you to come forward. And I want the altar workers and pastors and board, get the anointing oil. We're going to believe that God Almighty would show up in this place. Can we just lift our hands? Just just lift our hands. Father, I, I pray as Pastor Brad begins to lead us in this song, and as people respond and come forward, that you would show up in this place in a great, in a mighty way. And I'm asking, oh God, that you would do a fresh work. I'm asking, God, that giants would be slain in this place in the name of the Lord. I'm asking in the name of the Lord that anxiety would lift from people's minds and 
I pray, God, eating disorders would be healed in the name of Jesus. I pray in the name of the Lord that cancerous tumors would disintegrate and be gone in the name of Jesus. I pray in the name of the Lord back pain would be gone in the name of the Lord. I pray miracle in marriages, miracle in families. God, there's people here today, they've got family members that need a miracle. So God, we've been praying and believing for Christmas miracles. And we've looked today at Micah chapter 5. And we are grateful that Micah chapter 5 is all about you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 And I pray, Jesus, that you would just move in this place. And I pray as Pastor Brad begins to lead us and people begin to come forward. I'm just asking by faith that the windows of heaven would open over this place. I'm praying that the supernatural, mighty power of the living God would flow in this place. I'm praying, God, that there would be miracle after miracle. So, Lord, we open up to this and we pray, have your way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Nobody whispered. Everybody shouted, Amen. Amen. Pastor, go ahead and lead us. If you need a miracle, come on. Come on. Let's just believe God for these miracles. Mountains are still being moved. Strongholds are still being loosed. God, we believe it. Yes, we can see it. The wonders are still waiting to.
family to extend your hands towards these people right now. Just just reach your hands towards them. Father, I pray for every man, every woman standing at the front. God, and there's some people standing at the front. They're walking through cancer. I, I think of my friend Julie right here, Lord. There's, there's, there's a brain tumor, and we're praying it will be gone in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that the chemo is working. We thank you, Lord, that things are reducing. But now we pray by faith in the name of the Lord that there will be a complete healing in the name of Jesus, we pray. We ask, Lord, that by your stripes she would be healed. We ask in the name of the Lord that when she goes back to the doctor, the doctor says what was there is gone in the name of the Lord. We pray for that by faith in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Father, there's people standing here. It's not, it's not, it's not healing of body. There's healing of mind. There's some here that need healing in marriage. There's some here that need to be set free. We pray that the God who can do the supernatural would step in right now and do the supernatural in this place. We pray, God, that we would hear testimony after testimony after testimony of what you've done at this altar this morning. And we give you the glory, we give you the honor, and we give you the praise. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, before we go, Pastor, I want you to take us back to that part about giants. Giants are slain. And dead bodies are raised. I, I, I want us to sing that as a declaration in this place. So let's let faith rise. Let's just lift our hands and sing it to the Lord. And let faith just rise. We're believing that this house will be a house of the supernatural. Our bodies are still being raised. And giants are still being slain. Oh, God, we Little wonders are still. Come on, sing it again, bodies. Come on. When bodies are still being raised. Come on. Giants are still being slain. Oh, God, we believe it. Yes, we can see it. Little wonders are still. What do you do?
In just a moment, I'm going to lead us in prayer. After I pray, Pastor Brad's going to keep playing. And if you want to stay, you're welcome to stay and worship. You're welcome just to stay and linger in God's presence. And if you need to go, we understand. I want to thank all our guests for coming. And I hope you drop by the guest lounge. We, we really want to bless you today. And I hope, friends, you drop by the tables, pick up those invitations, hand them out, personally invite people, use social media as well. And do all you can to invite people to come. And uh, if you accept the Christ in your life, please drop by the, the follow wall. We want to we wanna give you a Bible, a little booklet. And if this is your church, get into a connect group. we got connect groups all across the city. Go to the connect wall. They'll help get you into a connect group. You want to serve, go to the serve wall. We're going to help you find a place of serving. So, Father God, thank you for our time this morning. We can't wait for Christmas Eve. We pray, God, that great things would happen, 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 6 o'clock. Thank you again, God, for everyone who's responded at this altar. And I pray that they would see a huge difference because of what you've done in their lives. We want to thank you, God, for what you've done and what you're doing. Hallelujah. We thank you, God, for these great Old Testament scriptures that have got you, Jesus, all over them. And it's all about you. You're our miracle, Jesus, and we love you. We praise you. And I pray as we walk out today that you, Lord Jesus, would receive all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. God, in the busyness of Christmas, help us to never forget that it's really about you. And we lift up your name. So thank you for this amazing church. Give us a great day. Give us a great Christmas week. We love and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor, keep leading. Oh